0: Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. Hey, I appreciate you letting me skip out last week. That was absolutely awesome. Most of you know that was our 30th anniversary for me and my wife, and uh, we just had a great time. It was, we went and saw the new Star Wars movie. It doesn't get any better than that. At year 30, that's the kind of thing you do. You know, you got your diamond years, your silver years, and then you got your Star Wars years, and we're in the star year war years. Hey, does anybody else out there yesterday at about, uh, I don't know, was it five o'clock, six o'clock, and see the most amazing rainbow that ever happened? Yeah, if you didn't, I posted it on my Facebook face, because I'm really a 13-year-old girl. Um, I, I posted it on there. It was the most amazing, I mean traffic was stopping on 17 and just pulling over to take pictures of this thing it was a complete rainbow but it was a complete double rainbow you know so it you know it's just funny when you watch everybody in society regardless of what our station in life is stops and is amazed by such a simple thing it kind of gives hope to the, to humanity, you know, that we still enjoy these incredibly simple and beautiful things. But um, it was a perfect example of what we've been talking about, about arising and shining. And that's what God is talking about for each and every one of us, to arise and shine. I love the way that he talked about this kind of beautiful rainbow experience. But God saw it, the rainbow experience not happening in the sky above us but rather how we live our lives and, and how it displays and it makes people pull over and notice it and begin to want to be a part of it. Listen to what he said in Isaiah 16. He was talking about you and me, us as individuals. He said, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people's but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. That You know, the rainbow was amazing, but what's really amazing is when the people of God come alive with the spirit of God, with his word and his love and his compassion, and we begin to radiate, and it begins to bring transformation in the middle of of the darkness. So we've been called to arise and shine with the power of the risen Savior in our lives, And, and God wants us to do it right where we are, you know, and what was really interesting is that, you know, I pulled over on the side of the road on 17, I live in Hollywood, living in the country, you know, it's absolutely amazing, and I, and I, and I was looking at it, and I, and I realized that I was seeing it from my angle, but somebody five miles down the road closer to Charleston, looking back at the rainbow, was seeing as if the ends were ending in a different location than where I saw the ends happening on the rainbow. So what the thing was is is that this rainbow had splendor regardless of where the location of the individual was observing this rainbow. And, And we begin to really look at our lives. We think, God, I wish I had a different life, wish I had a different job, wish I had a different husband, wish I had a different family, life experience, whatever it is. But God is saying to us that if we arise and shine right where we are, we will see the glory of God in our lives. And it will be beautiful from whatever angle people look at it. People will see it in our lives. So we don't have to become something different. God planted us in our lives so that we could shine out of our lives, in the middle of our lives. I love the way the Apostle Paul said it. And this is a a little verse that we'll stay on today, but in Ephesians 5, 14, and he was talking to people like us. He says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best usage of the time, because the days are evil. He says, look carefully at how you walk, now, we tend to think of the word carefully as this idea of anxiety. Be very careful, don't fall, you know? And, and that's how we, we tend to preach Christianity, that you, on the, you are on the precipice of hell itself all the time. So be very careful about how you walk because you can screw this whole thing up and then that's it, and God's just gonna zap you. But that's not what the language actually communicates to us. He says look carefully about how you walk, meaning look accurately diligently and strategically about how you're living your life. Don't let it just happen as a passage of time, but rather begin to consider and examine and begin to look at with diligence how your life is living, how you're going about it, the next step that you're about to take, and and evaluate the strategy of it. Is it awakening? Is it alive, coming from the dead through the power of the Spirit of God and God's Word? Or is it something that's remaining dormant or something that remains in darkness? And he says, get involved in it." You know, we really want God just to fix everything. And other than the cross and the resurrection from the dead and sending his Holy Spirit, I don't know what more we could ask him to do. I mean, that's, that's a pretty serious commitment. You know, go to the cross, die for our transgressions, then be buried, remain in the grave for three days, on the third day, rise again. Then not only that... But then say, hey, listen, guys, just hang out for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon the church. They get empowered. They start speaking in tongues. They begin to see visions, prophecies, healings, and, and all that stuff. And all of which continues even up to this day. I, you know, and I think about this point is when God is saying to the Apostle Paul, he's like, no, it's time for you to wake up. Like he's saying through the, through the prophet Isaiah, it's time for us to arise because the glory of the Lord is here for those who want to use and step into it and diligently examine what's going on in their lives and partner with God. And I think that's what he's saying. He says, make the best usage of the time or make the best use of the time. Now, this is a really interesting turn of phrase in the Greek language, because when he says the best use, it's really not... The English doesn't do it well. What it actually means is look at what's in your hand and, or in somebody else's hand and buy it out. It's actually the word redeem. Or, you know, when something is redeemed, you're, you're taking something and you're bringing it to its best usage. It's kind of like restoring an old piece of furniture you find it in a, a barn someplace, and then you take it and you bring it back to your house and you put it in your garage and you spend about three years, five years restoring it to its original thing for toward its best usage. And so what he says is, as you're, as you're going through your life, begin to examine what you're doing, your strategy of your life, and begin to make the best use of time. Begin to look what's in, in your hand and begin to redeem it, to see what is the best usage of what you've got. Take a look at what's in your, in your very hand, not what's in your neighbor's hand, or what's in your neighbor's driveway, or what's in your neighbor's garage, or what's in your neighbor's life, or what's in your neighbor's bank account. He says, begin to look at what's in your hand, and begin to redeem it. Begin to establish, what is the best usage of my life? What is the best usage of the things that, that are in my hand? But I, I love it, he says, making the best use of the time. And when Paul is talking about time here, he's not talking about time management. Um, that would have been a different word in the Greek language. It's the word chronos. You know, um, that, you know like when you're you know, talking about a watch or chronos, you're talking about the homeland of the Klingons in, in Star Trek. But either way, whatever way you use the word chronos, that's what the, that word would have been. But he's not talking about time management. There's another word in the Greek language that he uses here. Is, it's the word kairos. And when he's talking about the word kairos, the word kairos means not just the management of the clicking of the clock, but rather an understanding of the moment. Is the do you understand the moment that you're in at this particular moment? The opportunity, the circumstance, or it was used in a marked season, the beginning of a marked season. It's like this is the time when this happens or this circumstance occurs or this opportunity is being presented to you. And the apostle Paul is saying, make the best use of the time, not just your your biological clock, but look at what's in your hand and realize what the moment is that you're in right now. What is the moment that you're in right now and are you using what's in your hand to redeem the moment that you're in right now, do you understand the circumstance of the conversation that you're having with your wife? Do you know the impact of the word when you said that to her? Do you know what the kairos was, the interaction maybe having with your son or with your daughter? Do you understand the significance of that moment? Or maybe at work when you're doing something, understanding that particular moment and, and, and what's taking place. See, a lot of times we just go through marking time. And, and we have times. You, you know, this is the season of graduations. And you graduate and, you know, then you get pushed on to the next level of education. And then, you, you know, there's a time when you go into the workforce. And you join the workforce until you're about 66 and a half. And then it is your time to be moved out of the workforce, make room for somebody else. And you, your turn to live off of whatever it is that you saved up for yourself. That's just the passage of Kronos. But Apostle Paul is saying that when we arise and shine, it's time for us to realize where we are right now. What is our moment? What is the significance of this time for each and every one of us? Now, this could not have happened any better, and I feel sorry for this poor guy, but this illustration presented itself this week, like three days ago. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but The NBA and baseball were only invented by God to give people who watch football something to do while they're waiting for football to start back up again. Yeah, that's that's probably a baseball guy back there. You know, so, um, but the Cavaliers are playing Golden State for the championship. It's a seven-game series, and they were in their first game uh, like three days ago. And this is, this is a, a perfect example. I really feel bad for this guy. And I would not be using it if it was a moral failure, but because it was, you know, he gets paid millions of dollars to play basketball and he made a mistake. Well, you know, um, that's the way it goes. So we're gonna use this as an illustration. But this is the difference between understanding the time on the clock, but understanding the moment. What is going on at this particular moment? Well, this poor player, and and I've got a video to show it, but this poor player, his name is J.R. Smith, gets the rebound. The score is tied with four seconds left on the clock. He pulls down the rebound. All he has to do is go back up with the ball and make a layup, which he can make in his sleep. But instead, he takes the ball, dribbles out, and lets the clock run off. Well, time expires, it's now tied, and the other team wins in overtime. And the reason why is because he may have known what was going on on the Kronos, but he didn't understand the score, the the Kairos. He didn't understand the moment. Let's watch poor JR. Plenty of time with 4.7 remaining. this misses. Rebound goes to the Cavs. J.R. Smith brings it back out. Throws to the hill. Hill shot blocked. I get the feeling J.R. Smith thought they score. had the lead. He no. didn't know the score. I think, exactly, that's a bad mistake by J.R. Smith. And LeBron James was trying to get a timeout. J.R. Smith, when he says, I thought we were ahead. He thought we were up one. I mean, you got to know the score. You know, I thought we were all aware of what was going on. I don't know what was going through Jr.'s head. I don't know what Jr. was thinking. Trying to get no space to bring it out to get it, maybe get a shot off, and then I see him. I looked, I looked over at LeBron. He looked like he was trying to call timeout, so I just stopped. Uh, I don't know. I guess that further goes along with my theory. I thought he was looking for LeBron. No, I don't know his state of mind. I gotta tell you something right now. That is as inexcusable of a mistake as you can possibly make. I don't know what to say. It is one of the most brain-dead, idiotic things that I've ever witnessed. I would have looked for LeBron, too. What is he doing? Well, that's J.R. Smith. If I thought we were ahead, then I, I would have just held on to the ball that I found him. But clearly, that wasn't the case. Did you know if he knew the score? Like I said, he gets paid millions of dollars so I don't feel too bad about using this as an example. But you know what, that is a perfect example about maybe what we're doing in our own personal lives. We we know where we are on the chronos evaluation of time, but we don't know where we are when it comes to the score of things, the meaning of things, how important you are. I mean, most dads in this room Don't know how important you are. You really don't. I mean, sons and daughters rise and fall on the words of their fathers. And when a father knows the kairos, the moment that his son and daughter are in, or the moment he's in with them, it has the power to either compel them towards success or to send them spiraling down in failure. This is so important. And God wants us to realize that this is our moment to arise and shine. It is our time to realize the importance of the moment. And not only the moment in, in a big picture of our lives, but to, to just to walk carefully when you're at work and realize when one of these moments appears that this is when I can make a difference. This is when I can say the right thing. This is when I can give. This is when I can serve. This is when I can make an impact. And being aware, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. is like, wake up. You don't go to work just to go to work. You don't have a job just to make money. That's the, that's the Kronos way of looking at things. You have a job so that, so that these significant moments can occur in other people's lives, and then you can arise and shine, and you can make a, an incredible difference in their lives. God is saying, you know, diligently look at your life and use it to redeem the moment. And God has empowered each and every one of us to do that, to bring hope and love to this planet. I mean, if a rainbow can stop stop us in the middle of traffic, to stop and watch this incredible thing, a simple thing that has been going on since rain appeared on this planet, then how much more when a man or woman understands their place in history, in time, in the moment, and is empowered with the Spirit of God and the difference that they can make to use to take what's in their hand and use it for bringing light into this world. And there are two things that we all have in our hands. We all do. There are two things that we all can use. Every one of us here have at least two things in our hands. There are two things that we can redeem that we can put to the best use. There are two things that would empower with the Spirit of God that can, that can bring change in the world around us. There are two things, and I, and I know every one of you have them. And the two things are this, advantages and weaknesses. We got them. If every one of us were to look at what's in our hand and evaluate what's in our hand, we would see that we have some advantages, and we also, each of us, have some some weaknesses in our hand. And Paul didn't say, just, I want you to look at the good stuff about your life and utilize it. Matter of fact, usually good stuff doesn't have to be redeemed. But he says, I want you to look into your hands, see what you've got, and I want you to use it in this moment, this kairos moment, to bring about life and hope into other people's lives. You were called by God to leverage your advantages and to exploit your weaknesses. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And that's just the way that I break it down in my little head is that I've got advantages and God wants me to leverage them and I've got weaknesses and God wants me to exploit them. You know, it's funny, we don't usually use the word exploit in such a good sense, but when we're talking about weaknesses, you know, we should exploit them. We should take whatever we can out of them and use them. So we're called to shine to the advantages. And every one of us have been given advantages. I don't care where we are in the social picture. Every one of us have advantages. And Jesus said this is how the kingdom of God runs and that we are given advantages to utilize. In Matthew 25, verse 14, he started describing how the kingdom of God works with advantages and how everybody has them. And he says, tells this story. He says... For the kingdom of God will be like a man who, going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his abilities, and then he went away. There's a dispersion of advantages to every single one of us as human beings on this planet. God takes what's of his and he gives it to us And then he says, okay, I want you to use this. I want you to take a look at what's in your hand, and I want you to begin to redeem it, and I want you to begin to understand your moment and continue to tell how this story played out. And he who had received five talents went at once and traded with them and made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and uh, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. This is an important issue for God. I mean, it's not just an important issue for us. This is important. This is how God described the kingdom of God: is that every one of us has been dispersed with some advantages, and He says, "Okay, I want to see how you're going to use them. I want you to evaluate." But the great thing is, is you know, you don't have to have a doctorate degree. You don't have to have a million dollars. See, most of us will become philanthropists when we have a lot of money. I can't tell you in my life as a minister, as a pastor, how many people I've prayed for that they would become philanthropists. Pastor, pray for me that this incredible real estate goes, deal, goes through, it's about a $5 million deal and I really can bless the church with it and I just think God wants me to get this money and, and then just help people who are poor. You know, in my life, in ministry, I've never seen that happen once. Of all the people I prayed to, prayed for, and helped, and you know, all that other stuff, never once had seen somebody turn around and actually invested in the life of another person. Now, that's just my small little experience. You know. But, so this is, this is really an important thing for God. It's like, I'll give you successes. I'll give you opportunities. I'll give you advantages. I'll give every human being an advantage. But I want you to look at it, and I want you to see how you can best use this advantage to bring about hope life and life into other people's lives. And every one of us have them regardless of the amount and of the type of advantage. Now, I really debated whether or not I was gonna use this to talk about this. Now, I'm about to say something. Please forgive me. We are in the middle of social change in America and it's about time, okay? Uh, some of us are a little slower to the need for it, but you know, we're there. Now, I'm gonna make a generalization. Now it is legal to make a generalization okay they they're broad statements this broad statement may not appear, may not apply to everyone that i i talk about in this particular category um but and, and you may have had different experiences but I, I've, I've been evaluating being a baby boomer um looking at my life looking at how i deal with race how i deal with gender and uh you know I, you know, was raised in the 60s, 70s, and, you know, have a certain way of thinking. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about the advantages of my life. Now, I'm not a sociologist, and I haven't done extensive research on this, but this is just some doodlings that I've been doing with my mind, um, and it brought it to an awareness. And again, this is a generalization. Your life experience may be different on a very specific uh, but for a generalization is this, that if you were a teenager or a young adult white male, and you were a teenager or a, dun- a young adult white male at around 1974 in the United States, outside of royalty in another country, you might have been the most empowered human subset ever to walk on the planet. Now, I said the word empowered doesn't mean smartest, doesn't mean best, but the, the wealth and opportunity of all human history for a particular subset in the history of mankind, outside of the royalty of Africa, the royalty of, of uh, Asia, the royalty of Europe, outside of that even smaller subset, that if you were an adult male, if you were a young adult, teenaged, white male in 1974, and the reason why I picked 74 was because that was the end of the draft. So I'm assuming that maybe you didn't go to Vietnam. Um, and also, um, I, I picked that time period ending in 1996 because that was when um, uh, daycares were then kind of reevaluated by the Reagan. Uh, administration and, and things were changing so that daycares could be done for profit, not for social help. So that means the structure of the family occurred. So I, I have way too much time to think on my own. Okay, that's, what I'm, that's this is all I'm proving right now. But no, what I was saying this, is when I looked and evaluated my life, you know, it's like, well, I didn't become a famous preacher, I didn't become a movie star. You know, I'm not the wealthiest man. You know, I don't have a great retirement. God made me look at it, and he's like, listen, there has not been a subset of humanity that has had more opportunity to shine in the world and leverage advantage than the subset that you are a part of. And the reason why everybody's trying to take it from you right now is because I have ordained it because you have not used it the way that I told you to use it. This is not the blacks have a problem. This is not women have a problem. I would dare say that this is the response of this master in this parable who comes back and finds out that one of his people that he gave a talent to took that talent, used it for himself and hid it and did nothing to bring about advantage for other people what does that master say to him? Jesus tells us exactly, you wicked servant. Now, I, I had to be honest with you, I personally am indicted by this. And I have rearranged my life to see that my house is not my own. That's why we immediately went to foster care. It was like, okay, I am this 1974 teenage kid grown up with the house. I mean, my house has four and a half bathrooms, uh, four uh, bedrooms in it. It's got, uh, what, what, two and a half bathrooms in it. And just me and my wife were living in it. Because my last order graduated, moved away. And I remember telling my wife, this is wrong. This is wrong. And it's like, why, is it, can't you do that? Yeah, you can do that. But if you're called to arise and shine if you begin to look at what's in your hand god said to me he's like you need to sell this house and get a smaller house or you need to adopt or do foster care and within one week we were in the foster care program and we had our daughter so i'm just telling you maybe i'm just a few steps ahead of you in this awareness maybe i'm just a few steps in what paul says i have awoken and the Spirit of Christ has raised me from the dead, and now I'm beginning to evaluate. A lot of it's happening because I'm, I'm about to turn 60. I know I only have maybe, it's so crazy, I only have about 25 more turkeys I will eat in my lifetime. <laughs> I, will eat on, I will only buy maybe 20 more Christmas trees in my lifetime. You say, man, you're morbid. No, I'm looking at what's in my hand. I'm carefully, accurately examining my time, and I'm going to walk with Kairos in it instead of Kronos governing it. And I think that's what God's calling all of us to do. And I tell you what, if we begin to look at the advantages, maybe you're not some, uh, 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 you know, white guy that was a teenager in 1974. Uh, And maybe because you weren't a white guy and a teenager in 1974, that's been your excuse not to use your advantage. Because remember, to each of us has been given different talents. To each and every one of us has been given and, and God wants us to know, wants us to ask ourselves the question, what's in our hand? Now yeah, you don't have the advantages of him or of her, but you do have an advantage. And I'm gonna hold you responsible for the advantage I've given you. So I, like I said, it was a pretty big generalization and I know that there's guys here that were teenagers in 1974 that that didn't apply to at all, that you didn't have the advantages that I had. But it makes me just want to challenge everyone here. Think about the advantages you've been given, and everyone has been giving us some advantages. So there's some advantages that we have. Some of us have experiences. We have things that we have, we've gone through that are advantages that we can help other people. That's why we call it mentorship. You know, begin to think about your life. Are you in a mentorship program? Are you helping young men and women with the advantages that you have to get an education, to amass wealth, or to succeed in a particular profession? Are you beginning to leverage that to enable somebody else to move forward? We all have resources, and they're different. We all have position, power, and money. Like I said, it is different. It could be measured on a, within a home, or it could be measured in a corporation. It could be measured um, in, in, a, in the realm of politics. But we all have position, power, and money. And God wants to ask us, have we woken up with that? Have we begun to realize, have, you, have we redeemed that? And I had an example yesterday, and I didn't write this sermon yesterday, but I inserted it in there. I just wanna let you know I am doing my job. Um, <laughs> But this moment was so, so incredibly powerful. Um, like I said, I live in Hollywood, and um, there's a Circle K just as you're turning left to go into 162, and, and it's a beat up Circle K. It's a Circle K that you may not want to go to at 1 a.m. in the morning. Um, but it's, it's the closest door to my house, and I had to go out and get something, and. Uh, so while I was in, inside the store, the woman war- working behind the cash register, I don't know how much money she gets paid to work at a circle, k But she was working behind the cash register, and I was waiting in line. And, and then um, all of a sudden, this old gentleman walks in. And, I mean, he, he, was, he was walking like that. Just, uh, <laughs> I heard somebody laughing. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be walking like that one day, too, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, uh, he was just walking like that. He had a white shirt on, black pants, some nice shoes, and a tie on, and he was just walking, but he was so old. And then I heard the cash, the lady behind the cash register look over here and said, Mr. Chris, you left your change here on Thursday. And he's like, yes, ma'am, I did. And she went over, and she had this little envelope where his $6.34 dollars 34 she had put in an envelope for him. He had walked out of the store on Thursday, forgot his his change. She probably realized he was on a fixed income and that $6 and change was worth everything. And instead of just saying, well, you know, dumb old fool, you don't know where your money is, or pocketed into her own pocket, she put it in an envelope and I saw her go over there and she said, Mr. Chris, I got your money for you. She counts the money out for him, gives him the change and he, he just has a big smile and he turns around and he shuffles out the door. I literally have tears coming down my eye, I mean, just on my face and she's probably like, oh, there's another drunk white guy in front of me. You know, It's like, I just had tears. And when I got up, the thing she said to me uh hey sweetie what are you you checking out and i said i'll tell you what i said jesus did his work on the cross you're doing it from behind that cash register i said what i just witnessed you do for that old man might be one of the most beautiful christ-like things i've ever seen in my life and she just looked at me and smiled and i actually had a i was using clorox i had to buy some clorox because i was power washing my house And she saw my Clorox and she looked at me and she said, honey, man like you should have a woman washing this house for him. (laughs) I was like, well, this is going a different direction than I wanted it to. (laughs) But uh, I'm telling you what, me and her connected in that moment. And you say, well, what? it's a big deal. That's nothing compared to, you know, building some new technology or being the President of the United States or being a millionaire. What I saw was a woman understand what she had in her hand, understood the Kairos moment and, and she shined like the most beautiful rainbow I had ever seen in my life. And not only did she do that, but because of her success and her power and in her resources, she almost She shamed me. And you're complaining about your house. And you're complaining about having to power wash your house. And you're complaining that you don't have a big enough 401K. And here's this woman making minimum wage, and she is a rainbow into the life of other people. So I don't care where you are. You may not be, in the words of Foreigner and their song in the 1970s, you may not be a dirty white boy, but you know what? You have been given an advantage by God, every single one of us, and God wants you to use it for his glory to radiate into other people's lives. We all have talents, things that we can do, whether it's working you know, with our hands or whether it's lifting stuff or whether it's you know, resources of the mind or education. We all have talents and we all have spiritual gifts. And God wants us to discover them as we awake, as we begin to allow the Spirit of God to to move in our lives. God wants to give you spiritual gifts. He wants to begin to share things with you, dreams and insights and revelation. He wants to give some of you the gift of healing. He wants to give some of you the gift of of teaching. He wants to give some of you the gift of uh, visions and dreams and all this stuff. You say, "Wow, why would God want that? It's because he wants you to be a light in the middle of the darkness for other people. He wants you to let them know that that he loves them, and he cares, and he knows exactly where they are. And like advantages, we all have weaknesses. I mean, that's the two things we have in our hands. We all have weaknesses. And I know it sounds crazy, but the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that the worst can be redeemed with the power of God. And we're not a group of people who avoid our weaknesses. At least I hope you don't. 2 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul was faced with his weakness, and he's calling out to God, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul got a hold of this and said, Therefore I will boast all more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, that I'm content with my weaknesses. You know, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. And I know some of you are like, um, you know, you share too much about your life from the pulpit. You share too much about your weaknesses. It's like, no. I'm supposed to look at what's in my hand. I find advantages, I try to use those. I find weaknesses, I try to use those. It's a real advantage for me to share my weaknesses because then power inhabits the weakness. I get to redeem it as I begin to use it as a shining, a lot of people see this as as absolutely crazy. For instance, when you have a weakness of um, you're needing someone else's help and asking for help, you say, well, how can that be a shining? How can I be shining by asking someone else for help? It speaks that you estimate the value of that person's life to be able to help you. Think about that. I don't ask for help because I'm proud. Not because I'm capable, but because I'm proud. But I have found recently, in the last three years, particularly because of the floods, I need people's help a lot more than I ever realized. So when I, as a pastor, go up to somebody and say, listen, you know, I mean, just imagine this. In my situation, I come up to you and I say, listen, I'm really having a hard time. I'm going to need you. To... Could you pray for me? Wouldn't you be like a little shocked, wait a minute, the pastor of the church just came up and told me he's having a hard time and he asked me to pray for him. You know, what does that say about you? Well, what it says about me is I'm weak, but what it says is that I think you got it. And I think you got it better than I got it right now. And I need you to help me. Now what does that make you feel like? (laughs) Yeah. Stupid pastor, of course I'll help him out. You know? By me revealing my weakness, I can empower other people by asking them to help me. Wow. So what should happen to the pride of looking like you could do it yourself? Kill that stupid thing. Because it's robbing you of your shining. Another way, by revealing your weakness, you're, you're needing forgiveness of another person dares that you live with humility and invites them to begin to confess and to dare to show weakness. Another way is that your willingness to share your failures inspires others to rise up with their own. I had a really good friend, and he's still a good friend, but I had a really good friend, and I went through a divorce 30, you know, like three years ago. And I remember going through that divorce, and this friend was there, and he helped me, and he was there for me, helped me. I was a single parent, and helped me know all that other process. And it was about like 15 years later, I found out that he had gone through a divorce. And I remembered how angry I was that when I was going through this hard time, even though he helped me, is that, why didn't you tell me you had gone through this? because it would have helped me survive better if I had seen you now years beyond your divorce and now successful in a new marriage. It would have helped me to have known that you had gone through this because I was too embarrassed to share it with you. When we don't reveal our weaknesses to other people, we are robbing them of the hope of success. Really, I mean, it's so I got weak, so that's why I ended up like the Apostle Paul in this one area. I ended up like the Apostle Paul. I will boast in my weaknesses. Why? So that I can coax you out of your weaknesses. So that I can get you to dare to admit yours. You don't have to hide from them any longer. I think this is my greatest gift. When it's all said and done, it should be put on my, on my tombstone or whatever it is um, that um, I gloried in my weaknesses. I think, that's the, I think that's my best gift to the world, is my weakness. That's why I love King David. That's why I love Gideon and Samson. Because, not because they were heroes, but because they failed in the Bible. I love the guys who fail in the Bible. Because I want to see how they got up. Because I need to see their failure. And David was a doofus, and Gideon was a chicken, and Samson was a lush. Those are three really good guys I need to watch. How did they mess up, and how did they succeed after their mess-ups? So you have that power to inspire somebody. Stop hiding in your weaknesses as if it speaks something bad about you. So we don't wait for the rich people to fix the world. And we don't wait for the perfect people to do it. And we don't wait until we are fixed to do it if that's what you're waiting is that you know it all gets fixed it all gets equalized it all don't worry it'll never happen we look at what's in our hands and give it to god and ask god to redeem it in this moment that's what we got to do i don't gotta look over there and see what's in somebody else's hands look what's in your hand and every one of us have something Give it to God. This is what the disciples did. They had 5,000 people, hungry people, sitting right in front of them. And Jesus said, feed these people. And they're like, how are we going to do this? We only have seven loaves. This guy had a loaf. loaf. They even took some food from some poor little kid who had his lunch bag from his mom. And they grabbed that. They said, how are we going to feed so many with so little? And they gave it to Jesus. Jesus blessed it and then said, go feed the people. Say, don't worry about how much you got in your hand. Just take what you got in your hand and give it to God. He'll bless it, and then he'll give it back to you so that you can feed the people of the world around you. This is what happened with Moses. He comes to the Red Sea, and they're stuck, and Israel's, I mean, the Egyptians are chasing them, and God says, what do you got in your hand, Moses? What do you have right here in this moment that you could use? And he says, I got a staff. And he goes, all right, touch the water with the staff. And all of a sudden, whoosh, you saw the movie. It mean, just just, why, just opens up in front of me. What did God use? What was in Moses' hand? What did Jesus use? What was in the disciples' hand? What is God going to use with you? What is in your hand? And if you're doing this with it, he's not going to pry it out of your hand. But he's going to ask you what you did with it. So as we enter into this moment, moment, I just want you to realize your life has got incredible value. It's got resources. And maybe you're angry at the 1974 crowd. I get that, I understand that. I'm a little disappointed and I'm doing my best to change that. But let's get our eyes off of that and begin to look at what we got in our hands. Each and every one of us have in our hands. Because God can change the world with it. If we're willing to arise and shine, to awake, O oh sleeper. Father, we just enter into this moment with you. And we thank you because with our weaknesses and with our advantages, you have called us to arise and to shine. You haven't just chosen some people here to do it. This is not a call that goes out just to the rich or the affluent Lord God, this is not a call that goes out to the spiritually perfect people, the religious people. This is not a, word, a, a call that goes out to people who've got their life all fixed. It's not a call that goes out just to old people. It doesn't just go to young people, white people, black people. It doesn't, it doesn't. But you have called each and every one of us to look at what's in our hands, to redeem this moment to know what this moment and we do so let me just encourage you as we enter into this just very short moment of expressions this is a moment when you personally get engaged with either through communion or prayer with one of our pastors or maybe just writing something on a piece of paper and putting it to the cross but this is a moment where maybe you talk to god and ask god help me see the moment that i'm in what is the score of the of my life god help me see the things in my hands and through the power of the resurrection to see them redeemed even my weaknesses help me god to see what my advantages are that i can use to bring hope to be that rainbow in the sky so i invite you to come into this moment just ask god to illuminate